voice hearings, voice 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 hearings, voice 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 this is Hearing Voices, conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive. Now, here's your host, the voice of your fighting Tigers, Chris Blair. Welcome in, Tiger fans. It's another week of Hearing Voices. We get ready for uh, always a great matchup as LSU will host Florida coming up on this uh, Saturday night in Death Valley with kickoff uh, just a little bit after 6.30. The part of the show that, uh, well, it's as I say, every week, it's kind of selfish on my part. We talk a little football, but we really get to know some of the voices we all listen to covering college athletics. And here's a voice very familiar to those of you here in Louisiana after spending time as the play-by-play voice for Tulane and then uh, got uh, 14 years with the Pelicans and on to ESPN. He, he gave up on the bayou and went to the swamps, but it's uh, always a pleasure to welcome a two-time guest here to Hearing Voices, the voice of the Florida Gators, Sean Kelly. Sean, it is uh, good to see you, and you know, I think just uh, seeing your vantage point uh, in Gainesville looks like a nice weather day there. <laughs> it is uh, pretty nice here in Baton Rouge with mild temperatures for early November. Hopefully we can um, get some of that on Saturday. We'll keep an eye on the weather, but uh, how you been doing? I've been doing well. I, I hope that rain holds off. I've got a ton of family and friends that want me to uh, set up a tailgate for them before I go to work inside Tiger Stadium. So uh, I would rather not be uh, a total washout. I think we'll get away with fairly decent weather on Saturday. We'll see. Well, I know you were here long enough to know it never rains in Tiger Stadium. Now, the good news is... It's not a, on Saturday night. You're it's, right. It's a, it's a 6.30 start. Uh, tailgating, though, that's, uh, you know, who knows what will happen. But that sounds like you've got a mighty task in front of you. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about these two teams because obviously LSU comes off uh, the disappointing performance uh, last Saturday. A lot of the goals this team set um, are kind of off the table now. Um, Coach Kelly on Monday talked about, you know, wanting to build and get back uh, to where LSU and their fans want to be. And, and, and part of that is winning 10 games. And uh, that still is on the table. And, and, and I think the similarity, Sean, and, and I'll get your take on it, is both Coach Napier and Coach Kelly come into these great programs that have the facilities, have the ability to get the top-notch student-athletes. Um, but but uh, the cupboard, let's say, was a little bare for both that are coming in. And, and, and again, it's, it, it'd be easy if you could just come in and turn around an aircraft carrier, but sometimes that's a, a little bit harder. Is, is that kind of the feeling there in Gainesville? Yeah, especially bare here in Gainesville. I mean, I think most would have – maybe finally admit here that Dan Mullen had lost the uh, the zeal for recruiting and Billy Napier walked into a situation that needed a lot of help, culture change, personnel change, um, kind of a wholesale, just, you know, like you said, turnaround. And it's hard to do with a big ship like that. And, you know, the transfer portal does help to some extent uh, and it just takes a couple of recruiting cycles too. So when you look at Florida's situation right now, it's an easy argument to say that the best players on Florida's team are ones that Billy Napier brought in, whether it be the transfer portal or just through the old-fashioned recruiting way. So it's coming, but some of the the numbers are alarming. And, and Chris, you'll notice this in your prep and when you see it on Saturday night, the number of true freshmen who are playing large roles for the Gators right now, uh, it's, it's, it's staggering when you think about that's happening in an SEC program. 
And yes, Billy's got this big, highly touted recruiting class coming in, but they'll be true freshmen too next year. So it seems this year and, and, and next, you know, it'll be a young Gators team trying to learn their way. And that's, that's somewhat what we've seen how the season has progressed as well, right? So you win nice games on the road at South Carolina, at home against Tennessee, and then you have last week where you drop the overtime game to an Arkansas team that hadn't won a conference game yet. So that's where it is. And just like in Baton Rouge and across the great state of Louisiana, over here in Florida, they're not a very patient bunch either. And so when there is some admission as to what it was, they also know what it was once and what it needs to be again. And so there's the collision that happens with fans and impatience and everything else. You know, I, I understand that Gator fans and LSU fans never want to be um, compared to each other. That's just the nature of this rivalry. But, you know, to your point, Coach Kelly comes in after LSU uh, finishes up uh, their bowl game with, I think, a little over 30 scholarship players. And I get the sense, listening to Coach Napier, and you kind of touched on it there, that you know the long-term plan is, yes, you can go to the portal uh, if it's the right fit, they fit into the culture, they fit into to, to what the coaching staff is wanting from a skill set and personality set, for that matter, that, that that's a short-term fix. But that the, the goal is to ultimately be able to maybe pick or choose a handful out of the portal that – you know, pop up and you go, hey, they could really help us. But they want to build this program with player development, and that is, as you say, playing a ton of freshmen and relying on freshman classes to build up. I mean, I don't think LSU plan to play as many freshmen as they have this year, but just like Florida, uh, in a lot of ways, due to injuries, um, you've got a secondary that is playing a lot of young players on a big stage for the first time. But I get the sense that both coaches, Brian Kelly and Coach Napier, want to build this program for the long term by bringing in the majority of freshmen and developing them as opposed to just relying on the transfer portal. No? Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's correct. I think there's always going to be a place for the transfer portal. Moving forward, it's going to be perhaps being a little bit more choosy or, man, just I can't believe this guy is available. We have to take this guy. But, you know, whether it's the long-term progression of a program, Chris, or even just the simple matter of having depth on your roster. You know, when we look at a program like Georgia right now, and this is not a conversation Tiger fans or Gators fans want to have right now, but, you know, Brock Bowers goes down, well, but here comes Oscar Delp. He's the next dude that's going to be the next Brock Bowers. I mean, they just keep rolling dudes out because they've built depth over the string of five, six straight phenomenal recruiting classes. That's the goal for a guy like Napier. That's the goal for a guy like Coach Kelly. So, you're right. Injuries in the Tigers situation has forced some freshmen into larger roles right now. In the Gators' case, they just needed to figure out who the best players were going to be. And in, and in a lot of cases here so far, it's this freshman group that Napier's brought in. Don't get me wrong. The transfer portal's been nice. So Cyrus Torrance last year, we know him. He's a Louisiana guy. All he does is go be a high NFL round you know, draft pick. Uh, Montreal Johnson comes over from UL, you know, top 10 running back now in the SEC. There are guys that are high-impact transfer portal guys, without a doubt. But to think that you can just stay competitive in this conference by hitting that hot iron every year and having a great transfer portal is fool's gold. I think it's it's short-term success. It's not an ability to build depth or competition at, at certain position groups. So, yes, I think you and I are in agreement. Both of those head coaches are in agreement on 
what lies ahead with regard to building a roster. And, you know, it's funny, after coming from pro sports for so long, the, the old phrase was NBA, NFL, it was how do you build and maintain a roster? And with the transfer portal now, it goes both ways, right, Chris? So even now in college basketball, college football, college baseball, it is the same phrase as the pros. It's how do you build and maintain a roster? No doubt about it. I mean, I think, you know, I've heard all coaches uh, in, in, you know, again, football, certainly in basketball at the college ranks talking about the, the, there's as much effort in recruiting your own team as the season, not only at the end of the year, but as the season goes along, uh, again, managing that roster. And to your point about Georgia, I, I again, I agree with you. I don't think LSU fans, certainly Georgia fans in the SEC East don't want to hear it, but in the uh, title game in Atlanta last year, uh, early on in the first quarter, LSU had a little bit of success and, uh, you know, suddenly four new uh, defensive linemen check in uh, by design, not because they needed to. They just put – they had the starting four, and then they brought in another four that looked just like the starting four. So that's the depth that, that every team, not only in the SEC, but certainly across the country, is looking for. Sean, you know, we live in uh, the microwave society, and that's not just sports. That's one we talk about a lot, but that's kind of the way the world is in everything. Um, I think there is, is some pleasure by the national writers to, again, which coach can we say is on the hot seat? I mean, goodness knows, they've got coaches on the hot seat before the season begins, having no idea what that team's success or lack thereof is going to be. Um, and, and again, you hear it from the outside, inside the state of Florida, and those who are what I call constituents of the University of Florida football program, is there any, any bit of uh, credence to you know Coach Nabier being in a hot seat? Go see the guys at Subaru of Baton Rouge for your next new or pre-owned vehicle. They have a large selection of new, certified, and pre-owned vehicles to fit any budget. The Fabry Automotive family will treat you right and make your purchase experience an easy one. You can view their entire inventory online at SubaruBR.com. That's SubaruBR.com. Other than the lunatic fringe, no. (laughs) I mean, and and there's a lot of reasons why. A, it's his second year. It's what he inherited. It's the buyout clause. It's you'd end up losing what some are projecting to see the number three recruiting class in the country. I mean, none of that would make sense, right? Now, are there expectations that perhaps Napier has to tweak some things on his staff or, you know, different aspects of his program? Sure. I think that's most everybody, most every season, just maybe this has been highlighted a little bit here in year two with Napier. So no, I think other than the lunatic fringe, I think there is some sense of reality that Napier is not on a hot seat. Are you happy with where the program is? No, but that doesn't mean you just go fire the coach. And that's, that's not what people are thinking as well. I gotta believe that. I love it. Lunatic friend. Yeah, I, the lunatic friend. Yes. <laughs> Sean Kelly, our guest, voice of the Florida Gators. He and his broadcast team will be at Tiger Stadium this coming Saturday on a, a dry Saturday night. I'm, I'm claiming it here for a kickoff at six thirty. You know, um, Sean, I, I think now nine games under their belt. Uh, if someone asked me to describe this LSU team, I would say, well, it's a high-flying, explosive offense when Jaden Daniels is at the controls that is going to be able to put points on the board. Defensively, it is a team that has struggled. Um, I guess you can look at different pieces, and I'm sure Coach Kelly does. He mentioned it Monday. He sees some progress that he's happy with. But the fact of the matter is it's an elite offense, 
and a defense that struggles. They're dead last in the SEC in third down defense, which, again, it's hard for LSU fans to, to think in terms of how really this defense has played out this year. I'll, I'll ask you the same question. You mentioned it. There's been some big wins, really solid wins for Florida this year. Um, and then you come up with the loss to Arkansas, uh, the tough afternoon in Lexington. Uh, and again, you take on the Georgia Bulldogs, which as we've talked about right now is, is the standard. Describe to me, what, what do we know about this Florida team that basically week in and week out you can count on? Well, we know we have been able to count on all three phases having a complete game. That's something that's eluded the Gators, and that's the thing. I think more than anything else, other than getting to bowl eligibility, I think Napier and the core of the roster really want to see them take that next step and, and put a complete game together. And, and that doesn't mean a perfect game, Chris. You know what I'm talking about. A complete game would be playing four solid quarters, You know, not shooting yourself in the foot, no self-inflected wounds, if you will. Um, and and winning things like hidden yardage and, and other other measurables, I guess, and what you would describe as a complete game. That has not happened yet. I kind of throw out the Georgia game, uh, of course, and, and that's the thing about Gators fans. They want to compare themselves to their arch rival, but their arch rival is in a legitimate position to do something, Chris, that no program has done since the early 1930s, and that's win three in a row national championships. So let's throw that one out. I think that they got – um, beat up, out physical, whatever you want to say, at Kentucky. Uh, a bit of an embarrassment there. The Utah game's kind of funky. Do we really know what we know about Pac-12 and Utah and whatnot? But this Arkansas game this past weekend is the one that really stings the most for Gators fans. And it just speaks to this up-and-down ride that they're having with these young players. I think at the skill positions, Chris, we've come to know that Florida's pretty darn good. But in, uh, inconsistent play, both defensively and offensively up front, has plagued this team so far this season. And special teams, you know, they found their kicker in Trey Smack, right? And so they checked that box finally. Crawshaw is a year-in, year-out reliable punter. But, you know, another instance this past week where they had 10 men on the field for a field goal block unit. Uh, they had the crazy illegal substitution penalty when they were yelling Mayday Somebody was yelling Mayday, trying to win the game down the stretch, and there's another miscue there. So it's just it's this young team that's got to learn how to play a complete game, uh, a trench inefficiency, if you will, and then you know I guess I guess being more consistent. That's that's the I guess that's what we consistently know about the Gators is that they've been inconsistent, and so that's why I think there's still some hope, even with a Saturday night in Death Valley a road trip at a ranked Missouri team that is better than we've seen them in a long time, and then at home against Florida State, who's in the top four in the country, there's still some belief that the Gators can maybe pull one of these out. We'll see. Again, I, I was going to – you lead me to my next question, which is, again, you know, there are certain things LSU still shooting for that are on the table, as I mentioned from the outset. Uh, you mentioned bowl eligibility, which is huge for uh, a Florida program. They – Certainly expect to be bowl eligible each and every year, if not uh, competing for for conference titles and, and national titles. That's ultimately the goal. But it is a, a tough road. Um, you know, when you take on you know LSU uh, on the road, then you go to Missouri, who you mentioned um, uh, again, a, a very solid team, and I think they've proven that now uh, through their schedule, and, and then finish up with Florida State. 
how big would it be? Uh, and I know it's we're we're talking in terms of of theoretical here, but how big would it be? What a feather in the cap it would be, and not only that, the momentum that would propel Florida into the off season, if you will, depending on the bowl game, if they could somehow you know win these next three games. Well, I. Uh, uh, uh. To win the next three, I mean, it'd be like Mardi Gras in Florida. I mean, <laughs> they would be they would they would be dancing in the streets. I I just don't see how realistic that is at this point. Um, and and if you take each game, they all have seemingly a different thing. So again, go back to eligibility for a bowl, the extra bowl practices. You'll get some guys on campus early, like Lagway, the quarterback that's going to be the heir apparent here for Mertz. Um, you know, a game at Sat- a, a game Saturday night in Death Valley. Uh, look, there's no love between the LSU and Gators fans, so there'd be a grin, I'm sure, from Gators fans, right? But I think it would be a sign of yet another step in that they can win in one of the toughest environments to play, not just the conference but the country, and they can bounce back from consecutive losses, something that they haven't had to deal with all year long. If you go to Missouri, then you have snapped a three-game losing streak if they were to lose at LSU. You'd play in the cold in Columbia, Missouri, and yes, you'd get the road win, and yes, it'd be number six. But, man, I tell you what, if, if I set uh, a, a panel of Gators fans down, Chris, and I put the, the bright light on them and said, all right, I want the truth. You can only have one. You can only have one the rest of the way. I guarantee you, in the, in the bright light of truth, they would love nothing more than for the Seminoles to come in undefeated and for the Gators to beat them inside the swamp and ruin their season. So that's that goes back to one of our favorite phrases, bring me all the petty. That would be the petty and the cherry on top for the Gators and may rub a little salve over the wounds of year two under Billy Napier. No doubt about it. I mean, there's no question. It's one of those <laughs> national rival games uh, that that is very contentious, and, and I have no doubt you are 100% right. If you had 10 fans in there, it would be 10 out of 10 wanting to beat Florida State at the end of the year and just kind of wreck things a little bit. Sean Kelly, our guest this week, voice of the Florida Gators, again on the call on the uh, Florida Gator Network. Um, you kind of touched on how big that rivalry is, uh, Florida and Florida State. How big is this rivalry? Uh, and I, you know, having been here since 2016, I, I learned very quickly it's very contentious. Uh, as you said, there's not a lot of love between uh, programs, usually some excitement, uh, extracurricular sometimes before games, in the game. Uh, there's been some incredible moments for both teams over the years in this rivalry. Uh, there's been some head scratchers as well. Um, moving forward, I've asked all of uh, our colleagues in the league this season about the move next year with Texas and Oklahoma joining the end of divisions as we've known it since 1992 in this conference. Um, and if you pick and choose, you know, I, I'm, I'm put it this way. I'm excited. We get to see more teams more often. Uh, and, and that's one of the benefits of, of going to in this new direction. But I get asked a lot. I'm sure you do too. If you had to pick the permanents, and then rotated everybody else. For Florida fans, would LSU be in that list at all on, a, on, on someone or a game they would choose that they would like to keep annually moving forward? I think so. I, you know, if we're looking at geographic rivalries, you, you know, Auburn and South Carolina would be the two closest to Gainesville. There's no desire whatsoever to strike up some regional rivalry with Auburn or South Carolina. Georgia stays in the conversation. 
Tennessee, probably because there's such a history going back into the Spurrier era versus Fulmer into the 90s. And then to me, it's LSU. Let's just take the series record for a second. Isn't it like 33 and 33 and three? You're I mean, right. <laughs> and so, and, you know, Coach Spurrier's office is like two doors down from mine. He was quick to remind me earlier this week that I think he was an 11 and one guy against LSU. Mm-hmm. And it goes in waves, right? And LSU now has won, what, four of the last six? I think that's right. And they've been wildly entertaining games. A shoe flying through the air, a wild comeback by this kid named Anthony Richardson that nobody really kind of knew about, you know, on a, in a day game at Tiger Stadium. Uh, the, the the fake field goal. I mean, there's just great moments in this rivalry that have you on the edge of their seat. But I think the other thing too, Chris, and you and I have experienced this now, even just in baseball between these two schools, with success comes some kind of a rivalry, right? So. If you're looking at the Spurrier era or the urban era here at uh, Florida or or the or the waves that LSU goes through where they're running up against national championship opportunities, it seemingly, you know, only works not just if one team can beat the other on a regular basis, but the the ca- the caliber of the game, okay? What does this game mean? And seemingly more often than not in the last 20 to 25 years, the Florida LSU game has meant something with regard to one or the other's ability to win something even bigger than the day itself. And so that's why I find it entertaining. And, and look, the other thing is this, two fan bases with tremendous personalities, right? Distinctly different personalities that love to get after it. And so, look, that's what makes this conference, these Saturdays, better than anywhere else in the country. Yeah, I think you put it well. I mean, I, I think that when you look at the matchup, uh, whenever LSU and Florida play in football, to your point, typically either both teams have a lot to play for from a national standpoint or one or the other does, and the other certainly gets up to, as I said earlier, wreck it if they can. And then you look at a team like LSU that, as I said, a lot of the big things that were on the table are gone now. You come off a disappointing loss Uh, against Alabama last week, and then it's announced early this week it is a sellout because LSU fans want to come in here and they want to beat the eyes out of the Florida Gators, regardless of what the record is. And and the same thing happens when we go to Gainesville. it's, It's a sellout. It's an atmosphere. It's electric. And uh, I think the conference probably has that in the back of their mind as, as they start to plan these things, which we will all find out coming up in uh, just a little bit uh, on what teams continue to play on, a, on an annual yeah. basis. And, and TV thinks the same thing, Chris, don't they? Yes. I mean, look at it. CBS exercised their six-day hold for this weekend because some things were in play, but not just at the conference office. There's kind of a national intrigue with regard to Florida LSU. It's a game that will draw eyeballs outside of the southeastern part, portion of our country. And so while I think you and I both looked at the six-day hold and saw that our game was going to be one of the three held back by CBS, I think we probably thought probably not. But seemingly, even when here are the Gators sitting on five wins and LSU's you know, teetering on whether or not they can play for the division or not, it still was a game that the national lead broadcast for CBS was, hey, you know what, I don't want anybody else to take this. I'm going to hold on to it just in case it's even more attractive than it even normally is. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's got national cachet. We're talking about two national brands, LSU and Florida. They, go, they reach beyond their state borders. 
they reach beyond this conference. No doubt about it. Again, it's why you and I are lucky we get to be a part of this uh, matchup coming up on Saturday night. And when all is said and done, because there's no ties in college football, one of these teams will get the leg up in the overall series uh, after the seventh meeting coming up on Saturday night. Real quick before I let you go, Sean, um, you know, quarterbacks take all the credit when it's great, and we know they take all the blame when it's not. I know Graham Mertz was um, highly heralded coming into college, of course, and, and then one of the tops coming out of the, the portal. Um, and, and again, I, I think sometimes they get too much blame. When you look at his season thus far for the Florida Gators, is it fair to say a lot is on his shoulders uh, as far as wins and losses? And when he plays well, and if he plays well on Saturday, what is it he's doing that we've got to look for? Okay, two two things there. One, I, I think that, again, they take too much responsibility sometimes. I think if you look back at the reaction of Gators fans when he comes out of the portal and Florida picks him up from Wisconsin, everybody went immediately to look at his resume from Wisconsin, and it didn't really blow you away, right? And so there was kind of this lukewarm reception for Mertz here in Gainesville. Well, sure enough um, – He's put together a really, really good season. His best of his career, obviously. He's, you know, he leads the SEC in completion percentage. He's top five nationally. Early on in the season, Chris, I think there was this mantra that, well, you know, this is adorable, and he can really manage the game. Oh, I love that phrase. He's a good <laughs> game manager, Chris. But what we found out, whether it be on the road at South Carolina or some other instances, he can win a game for you too. And he's engineered some big drives, and he has come up with some big plays. And not kind of Anthony Richardson, like, blow you away, it's going to be on the top 10 plays of the year type play, but just, you know, high accuracy, on time, on target, tough. All the kid does is get back up after he gets drilled, and he's been running for his life, unfortunately, most of the season. So a lot of it's on him, and a lot of it is shouldered by him because he's having to save a play or, you know, make something happen when he's running for his life, like I said, but I think he's done a remarkable job. He's taking care of the football. He has a chance to have the longest streak, and you know, I'm somewhat superstitious. I even hate saying this. He has a chance coming up this weekend <laughs> to go the longest without an interception in pass attempts than, than any Florida quarterback. Think about that for a second. Think about the guys who have played at that position. He has a chance to do that this weekend. I, I just think he's, he's done himself well for the future. It's crazy he has another year of eligibility. And um, I've enjoyed calling his games this year. I really have. And he's a really tremendous young man, too. You mentioned some of the big games uh, where Florida has found success. Obviously, Graham Mertz has been a part of that. And, 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 and the, the job he did on the road at South Carolina uh, was absolutely exciting to watch down the stretch of that game. And, and we mentioned Johnson. We know ATN. Uh, Ricky Purcell, for me, is, is pound for pound the best receiver, one of the best receivers uh, and go-to guys in college football. So when they have played well and the offense has done what they needed to do to win, what 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 is it? Um, what do you walk out of the booth and say, "This is what Florida did, and this is why we beat Tennessee, uh, and this is why we got wins this season when we're playing well"? Yeah, I think you have to almost go back to the blueprint that Florida used against Tennessee, which is, you know, it wasn't a, a game of keep away, but it certainly was a game of winning time of possession and putting together, stringing together. Um, series conversions, being good on third down offensively. Keep away in the sense that longer sustained drives was a secret against Tennessee or a, a secret to success, obviously. I tell you what, 
watching Jaden plays just scares the absolute daylights out of me. And uh, what Florida has produced defensively over the last three, four weeks um, makes me real nervous. I'm And I'm not so sure that Florida's offense can get into a track meet with LSU either, which has proven to be, you know, Joe Burrow-like at this point and, you know, best in the country. Florida has to find a way to take the football away, something that's eluded them. They have to find a way to make either uh, Jaden or Nussmeyer somewhat uncomfortable in the game and not have self-inflicted wounds. Uh, other than that, I think the, the skilled positions are going to be fascinating to watch on both sides of the football. Uh, the Gators will have to be balanced on offense, too, and, and utilize the two running backs that are coming back to the state of Louisiana. Um, I hope they get many more yards than even the tickets they've had to request from their teammates for this weekend's game. And you mentioned Pearsall. I'll throw Trey Wilson in the conversation. And if we put them together with Neighbors and Thomas, won't it be fun on Saturday night to see probably four receivers that you and I will enjoy watching at the NFL level in no time at all? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say there's been a couple of times this year, uh, Sean, where, where we've seen really four, sometimes five great receivers, you know, between both teams. It happened up at Missouri. Um, uh, certainly it happened at, at Alabama. And, and I feel the same way. I think that, uh, you know, the both receivers, we're going to see. Uh, I think highlights uh, for both teams because of the, the skill they have on the outside. Last thing, and I'll get you out of here. Defensively, neither one of these teams, uh, this is going to go down as, as one of their best, not even close. Um, <laughs> in conference games alone, Florida, I think, is 11th, and uh, LSU overall is uh, 12th in uh, total defense. Ooh, again, a lot of it has to do with, with young players, uh, certainly for LSU, some tough injuries with the loss of, of Greg Brooks and then Cy Alexander, who was coming into his own as a, as a corner, Makai Wingo. But when when Florida plays good defensively, and they have this season, what, what is what is that combination? What does it look like? And I know, as you said, it's a, it's a tall challenge against this LSU offense. But if they can impose their will, uh, how would they do that? Uh, put some pressure on a quarterback. Let's start with that. And here's one of the crazy things going into the Arkansas game, Chris. There's no other team that's lower than the Gators in sacks this season. They're, they're the least amount of sacks in the conference. But yet, going into last weekend, they had the highest percentage of pressure on quarterbacks in dropback situations. Makes zero sense to me. So can they finish and maybe put a quarterback on the ground if they're able to get some pressure on your guys? Two very, very good ones. They have to be good up the middle, and they'll get, I think, two defensive tackles back from injury this weekend that they were missing last week. And I'm hoping they can find some answer to the loss of Shamar James, uh, who was the heart and soul of this defense. He's done for the year now with the dislocated kneecap. You're talking about a Florida defense that 25.6% of their snaps have been played by true freshmen. So it's a learning curve, and it only gets steeper on Saturday night. But keep LSU from getting into third and manageable, third and short all the time. And one more thing, and Shane Matthews would, would make sure to, for me to say this, because I know he'll bring it up on Saturday. You've got to find a way to somehow limit explosive plays. And I'm not talking about the statistical standard, which would be a run of 10 or more or a catch of 15 or more. I'm talking about that 30, 40, 50-yard type play that I know LSU is capable of. And if they can somehow limit LSU to doing that to them, multiple times on Saturday night that would go a long way in the Gators keeping their head above water defensively 
Sean Kelly, been nice enough to join us once again this week on Hearing Voices, a renaissance man. He can call your football, your basketball, your baseball games, a lot of different sports, and also can jump on a fire engine and help put out a fire. And uh, Ooh, not anymore. Yeah, but uh, you still know how to do it. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure if you had to do it, what is it? Uh, not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. I'm sure if it had Boy, to, was, you'd do it. Yeah, Toby Keith, is, Toby Keith had, was one of the wisest things he ever said, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, well, now, look, it, it'll be great to see you on Saturday, Chris. No doubt about it. I know you'll have family here, as you said. Good luck setting up the tailgate. Uh, I'm sure you'll do fine there. You know how to do it, having spent time here in Louisiana. And I uh, look forward to stopping by and saying hello. I appreciate you a bunch, Sean. Thanks for joining us. And uh, have a great call on Saturday. Take care. Keep that rain away, Chris. Will do. Will do. Sean Kelly been our guest this week here on Hearing Voices. Want to thank him for his time on a busy week as they get ready to head to Baton Rouge to take on the Tigers. It'll be Gators and Tigers Saturday night, 6.30 inside legendary Tiger Stadium. Thanks to Harrison Valentine, who puts it all together each and every week, and we thank you for stopping by our little show. Hope you'll do it again next week. Until then, this is Chris Blair, still Hearing Voices.